and welcome back to the Hi-Fi Podcast with Darren and Duncan. I am Duncan. I'm Darren. Today we've got a great topic, uh, topic being truth or buffered reality, what audiophiles want. So that's going to be um, an interesting discussion about subjectivity in this hobby. Um, but before we get to that, what's been going on with you lately? Uh, I've been Dan. doing a, a lot of listening and working on the new DS code for the direct stream. Um, and that's coming along really well and we're working towards finding the final compile for that. Um, and then I've also been, um, building this, this, uh, this rack. And so now I got my wood a few weeks ago for this rack that I'm building, which is going to be. I'm using countertops with uh, uh, concrete and sorbethane layers for the feet. Um, and then I'm also mounting my turntable to the studs in the wall. Right. And then doing um, another layer of countertop with uh, ISO acoustic pucks uh, beneath the, uh, the, the extra countertop. Um, yeah, so sticking out of the wall on that bracket will be two of these yep. uh, oak panels, and then you'll you'll have ISO acoustics between them, right? Yes, yep. yeah. That's just because when I put my hand on the wall, I he- I feel high frequency, you know, uh, high fre- frequency resonance. Yeah, and, um, uh, and so I think yeah. that sorbethane will kill that quite well. Yeah, um, and then I'm also thinking about doing like using like a high durometer, maybe like seventy durometer sorbethane, and putting that between the actual um, uh, L bracket itself on the wall. Oh, and, and then and tensioning the that a whole lot. Oh, so I if see. you have like a really thin high yeah. durometer, yeah. you can put, you know, like a, a couple, you know, hundreds and hundreds, if not a thousand yeah. pounds of pressure on that sorbethane. Yeah. If you get into studs, are you going to use like bolts and butterfly nuts? Uh, yeah. But mm-hmm. it's going like into, that? it's going into the studs. Yeah. 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 Okay. I'm not going into the drywall. Yeah. yeah. Okay. So, um, uh, yeah, well, yeah, to... yeah, yeah. But I mean, as opposed to like wood screws. Yeah, no, it'll be bolts, bolts, bolts. Stuff, yeah, because yeah. the turntable I think is seventy-five pounds or so. Sounds like you're loading up some weight. Yeah, cause, yeah. And then the two two panels of oak, twenty-four pounds each. Yeah, yeah. So it's getting okay. up there. Yeah, hundred and twenty okay. pounds ish. Yeah, mm-hmm. that's gonna be sitting on it. And are you the... going to? Are you? Have you thought about a dust cover at all? Because I. I know that your big dust cover goes with your big yeah. turntable plinth, which is not going to fit on. Here. Yeah, I'm not. I'm not doing one. You know, I have uh, throughout my years with uh, with my turntables. I, every time I have a dust cover, I don't ever really use it. It's just a pain in the butt. It's a it? pain. Kind of gets in, in your way. It's a pain yeah. in the butt. You don't ever want to really listen with a dust cover on because it no. it's like a box in there that has a resonance <laughs> oh and so many turntables and the hinges are connected to the to the whole assembly which you don't you want anyways that's going to get excited and actually move oh yeah move the turntable oh yeah and move your woofers um, unnecessarily exactly so you know that's where they uh like riga and hmm. project they allow you to just pop the cover off and that's yeah. just meant so that when you are listening that you actually oh, almost, take the cover almost off. all of them you could take the cover but, off um, but yeah those hinges being attached to the actual plinth of the of yeah the, you know player so i'm just going work. with having kind of a duster nearby and constantly cleaning the turntable and then using a zero stat gun to make sure that i don't charge the turntable and throw an air so compressor forth. in a different room and run a, <laughs> run a line with a little have a, a nozzle compressor. yeah just yeah <laughs> I mean, it's a good idea. 
I mean, I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna lie. You walk yeah. around to your turntable. Is that some dust? You can do that to, uh, you can do that to your records too. You could just, you know, dust off your records. That's a good point. Yeah. I actually had a situation the other day where I was doing a, um, I was doing some test pressing, listening for Octave Records. We're pressing, yeah. we're pressing some some records. Uh, yeah, that's cool. Through QRP, um, quality record pressings. Da- Darren, and- for any new listeners, Darren's a senior analog en- design engineer at PS Audio, and and PS Audio is a well known uh, hi fi audio brand. And one of the things they've started doing lately is um, is doing some DSD recordings, mm-hmm. uh, right? Direct to DSD. And- yeah, directly to DSD using the Sonoma system. And how do you get vinyl off of that so it's dsd to vi- to vinyl yeah it's uh D- ds we use a really high quality dac uh playing directly off of the master sonoma system yeah, yeah. and then that goes directly into the cutting lathe um at qrp pretty cool and um and so i've been i was doing uh, some test pressing listening and one side just had horrible distortion really really bad distortion and i'm like oh i have to reject this yeah and uh and i i uh yeah and so i actually you know wrote in my notes uh you know side three has horrible distortion we need to deal with it um well other others came back and said i don't hear any distortion on side three i'm like oh it must be my copy um something must be wrong with my my version um well the next morning i thought well I should re-listen to side three. So I re-listen to side three. No distortion this time. Hmm. I'm thinking, what the heck is going on? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I flip the record, ready to play the other side. And I notice a really long hair oh. <laughs> on the other side of the record that's stuck, you know, um, stuck to the other side of the record. And um, I have long hair now. And this is the first time I've ever lived with really long hair. Yeah. Um, and this is, uh, this is something I've never had to deal with before. Yeah, you know, small hairs will kind of get pushed aside yeah, and stuff like that. And won't, you won't really have That's this issue. Point, but yeah. what ha- happened was, you know, a foot long hair got stuck in the, the, with the, in the stylus and yeah, it dude. was just dragging. And I think it was lifting it up off the groove a little bit and just causing crazy amounts of Pulling groove on distortion. on one side or something. Something like yeah. that. And so that's what happens. Yeah. So, you know, you got to clean your records and be careful. And I, I fell victim to that. Man, so. the, the record, um, the record, the vinyl world is just a, it's a full of details. These Another tiny, hole, tiny man, of things. tweaks and adjustments yeah. and, you know, I don't know. I'm trying to get you into vinyl, but I'm a little worried <laughs> because you're going to take, you know, if you get into something, you go full, I you know, go all that's in. That's why man. I'm resisting. And it. vinyl's the ultimate tweak area, you it know. It definitely is. <laughs> no, there's some tables that I'm, so I'm Duncan. I, uh, for those new to the show, I'm a testing technician at the music room, um, which is a world leader in secondhand hi-fi, uh, you know, audio gear. And so testing things, I have a lot of experience with, different um different products and i'll tell you there's some turntables that are made because they're made for the journey it's like the journey is the destination yeah like putting this table together takes you know days and weeks or whatever doing it right uh remember the basis audio uh, i think it was like diamond reference i think it was it's like like the dual plinth one with acrylic Yes, acrylic, full yeah. acrylic, and yeah, it's, I know that and one. it's floating in this uh, viscous like silicone goo, and, and so it's got these pistons, 
in these canisters and and the whole thing bobbles if you touch it because it's just like yeah. floating in See, this duncan dude. you need to design a turntable i need to just go crazy and tweak every single part i, I have an rv 300 tone arm for you and you still haven't done it yeah so darren darren knows how to get me into something he says <laughs> you should build it you should build a turntable yourself he's been telling me this i'm a bad friend i'm a bad he's influence thinking, he's thinking well i can't i can't tell him oh you should get this turntable you should buy this one because that's not me you know <laughs> Uh, of course, of course, it appeals to me to build a turntable. So yeah, the hardest yeah. part of the turntable is actually the the bearing and the platter. The platter, I would imagine, yeah. getting that round. Mm-hmm. And the, yeah, because the the bearings you can buy them off the shelf in the bearing, um, but uh, but yeah, the all that needs to be to extremely tight tolerances, and so you know that you don't really want to DIY. But it's nice buying a bearing and a platter combo, and then from there you can DIY stuff. You can even do motor related things you know what i power supplies for the motor and speed controllers one of the things that did inspire me to like want to try to make a turntable is the clear audio innovation uh i believe the innovation wood or just the innovation but it's it's a turntable with two platters one has these steel inserts and the other one has these extremely strong magnets and then the motor turns the bottom platter mm-hmm. and the and that platter magnetically turns the upper platter just i don't even know if that's like a great way to do it. the best way to do it's, it seems like a pretty pretty good way to kind of like isolate some some motor noise out but it's just too cool for me i i think it's su- a super cool idea one thing though about that is that you're still just because you magnetically isolate there any sort of cogging in the bottom platter will still transfer because the they have the platter. same axle yeah yeah well no because you're you're the, any it's magnetically Actually, coupled so any sort same. of ch- quick change in the bottom platter will also be somewhat of a quick change in the top oh platter. i see that's what like a flywheel well, sure, does i'm sure you deal with it you, you like increase the distance from the the bottom platter to the top mm-hmm. platter to to minimize that effect yeah to, to have so does it the bottom as... platter spin slightly faster than the top one? Oh, well i i can't measure the bottom one oh, i okay. just measured yeah, the top yeah, one right. you know yeah with the strobe or whatever yeah you would want to kind of distance it like that but then you know that then have you ever seen like the flywheels before that's kind of like a low pass filter oh, yeah, yeah, where yeah. any sort of cogging on the the negative the the opposite turning flywheel or whatever yeah well the flywheel that just buffers the actual motor itself oh uh, it would turn in the same with it yeah turn in the same rotation as the platter but it that's kind of a low pass filter to low pass the low pass the uh the cogging of the motor noise so that's that's in the turntable world that's really why you know direct drives are not seen very often is because uh you yeah, know, you have any noise. any sort of cogging effect in the motor. Yeah, is is something that you hear. And you know, so, cogging is when the gears are not exactly aligned, right? So there's this shifting that happens with every single gear. That well, no. What do you mean co- by cogging? Cogging is where you have a speed variation based off some sort of um, energy that is being uh, transduced on the motor, or, okay. or like uh, so. Any sort any of variation in the input. To the motor, yeah. So as, as the motor is turning, you would have a, a, a variation in the fields uh, oh. like around the rotation. Yeah, of it. based on and so the speed would many... slightly change as it rotates around its 
its full rotation based on how many electromagnetic windings or are in the motor how the how the fields are dispersed throughout mm. the rotation yeah okay so what you want is you want the motor to be very consistent and smooth right right but if it starts to actually cog a little bit and, right. and vary by having kind of stop, some step start, re- start, start. Yeah, yeah exactly like a, some, like a stepper kind of thing little variation in its huh. in its uh overall speed that is what is cogging gotcha. and and because there's different types of motors there are different reasons for cogging it sounds like but, uh, i need to get away from the motor and if i was really going to tweak this out i'm going to run a stream into my listening room and have a, a water wheel right no, i'm just kidding <laughs> <laughs> people I, do uh people try to combat cogging through a lot of mass so oh, if okay, you add sure. the more mass that you add, and it may take a minute to yeah, get up it, to speed, because it resists uh, changes but, in yeah, it's in like a low pass time. filter, right? Yeah. So the longer it takes for that platter to get up to speed, like maybe it takes you a minute to get that thing up to speed. Wow. Well, that means that any variation is going to take a very long, take a long time, time to change to the platter speed, and that's the idea. Yeah. That's why you have these platters that are eighty pounds and stuff like that. It's just you know inertia at and like point. slipping belts at first and like oh you have to take your hand and move yeah yeah you have to start that. the platter yeah. or something like that that's yeah. like on my uh, tnt i think it has roughly 30 pounds of rotating mass on it and mm. so it takes a while to get perfectly up to speed so when you start you know you're you're putting on records while it's rotating because you don't even want to you don't want to turn the the, the uh, table off because it takes time to stabilize Man, I have so, seen some tweaky turntables. We had this one turntable. I can't even remember what it is. I think it was an Oracle. But um, it was one of those where you have to help the platter get up to speed. But, like, we couldn't get the platter to hold speed. It, you you could manually bring it up, and then it would just start slowing down. And, and we were just so frustrated, and we finally had to contact Oracle. And they said, uh, it sounds like it needs, like one milligram of oil like like if you don't have the right number of drops of the right viscosity oil in the bearing Mm. it won't work correctly it was crazy Mm -hmm. and if i remember i don't know if this is the same turntable but oracle sometimes uses like fishing line as as um as uh the belt because it's got it's it's more static and less dynamic and uh, there's all kind, and, and because it's a very small diameter, it carries huh. less resonance. It's also kind of slippery. Incredibly slippery. Yeah. yeah so that on acrylic, mm. you know, eventually, like, it's just enough grip mm. to make it work. And no it would more. look cool because it would be kind of invisible from it is, 15 yeah. feet away. Yeah. Um, it was frustrating, like, making one of those belts. I had to, had to make wow. one based on, oh, like, wow. yeah, I had to measure it out. And How um, do you tie yeah. the knot? There was a guide. Because um, like when it, when it, it goes around the motor, wouldn't you get a little bit of a? Uh, you would think, but uh, yeah. but not not in practice. Okay, um, the knot was really small, and, yeah. And mm. given the the size of the knot, which was just minuscule compared to the the mass of the um, the motor pulley, was pretty large. And then the <clears throat> and then the uh, platter was large enough that it didn't make a difference. I think I think I used. Um, because I'm a fly fisherman, I know all these knots. I think I used a blood knot, which which is when it kind of holds like that. Because they make you can you can have it be kind of like smaller but yes. very strong and, yeah. and kind of even stuff. Yeah. It wasn't like a double over. It's a bit bit longer a instead of it being off. more like a ball. 
Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, so yeah, I did that. Um, anyway, I've seen some tweaky turntables. One of these days, maybe. Oh, it's gonna. It's no, it's gonna happen. All right, I know it's gonna happen. Well, lately, I'm just trying to maximize my digital experience and. Yeah, made some new new strides yesterday. As you know, my my new nickname is ABT. Always be tweaking. Yep. And yesterday's tweaks. Uh, what did I do yesterday? I. I uh, changed my interconnects out to shorter ones. The same. I'm seeing type. some real tweaky stuff at the moment in your system. All right, tell me, tell me what you think is the tweakiest thing. That the I've tweakiest done. thing is uh, there's a tube dampener on the XLR connector. There is that one. I spotted it and I was like, "Ooh, he's tweaking." Maybe I need so to take hard. him to, you yeah, know, the Tweakers tweak Anonymous. Doctor, tweakers yeah. Anonymous. I am. I I like have to hide some of these tweaks from you. Because, because, <laughs> yeah, you didn't even mention that one, and I saw it. I was like, "Oh man, he's, <laughs> he'll, he'll he's respect tweaking, me less." He's tweaking out right now. <laughs> I'm just turning. I, do I mention this or do I not mention this? Right, you know, yeah. So, you gotta love it. That's yeah, great, man. It's awesome. So yesterday, I reterminated my speaker cables and uh, shortened the. But in my old house, I had my system off to the left, not in between the speakers. So I had one cable is longer than the other. So I even a bump yesterday and. Put uh put some great connectors on there, some silver ones at the amp, and then uh, some rhodium Furatech spades at the speaker. I'm mean, just I'm just tweaking so hard over here, man. I mean, <laughs> it's just like Tweak City, man. I can't get away. It's from Tweak it. City, and I just made a power cable. Uh, did I talk about that in the last podcast? I don't. Ble- I think we mentioned that you were building it. You hadn't listened to it because I know that this was right. this week. So update us on that. Okay. How's that going? Yeah. So last week you'd come down here and you'd seen me just, I had just started throwing this power cable together, um, which w- what it is, is it's a, it's a live conductor and this is the, the same design is, is, uh, is out there for cap- uh, power cable, speaker, speaker cable and interconnects which is essentially the the main signal cable is straight and the neutral or uh ground cables are spiraled around the the straight one. Um who makes interconnects like this? I believe uh anti cables make some interconnects that you see the yes. the magnet wire spiraled around. Yes. So the theory is that the positive lead and the negative lead are always in something of a 90 degree relationship to each other. And other um, brands do this with braiding. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, in a in a three a three wire braid gets you more like a thirty to fifty degree angle crossing. Um, f- fifty, maybe maybe a little bit more, depending on how tightly you braid. It. Yeah, uh, theoretically, or if you're braiding, you want it tighter, a tighter braid because that crosses the conductors at a at a more perpendicular angle. Mm-hmm. But the thought is just that that you that there there's less capacitance between the leads. Yep. Um, so you're trying to lower cable capacitance and. Um, so yeah, I made this power cable. The live conductor is uh, uh, Neotech UPOCC, uh, ultra pure uh, Ono continuous cast copper, and it's a solid gauge 12, 12 gauge um, with a Teflon jacket and just a beautiful cable. I got it from Parts Connection, um, and it's and it's pretty stiff uh, cable. But the thing about power cables in my system, I don't I don't need to 
pull them out, take them places. Like it, they don't need to be durable. They, in fact, like it can be the solid conductor and just hold its same shape all the time. What know? about flexibility? How does this rate on flexibility scale? It's not as flexible as some. Yeah, but due to the just wonderful properties of copper, it's something of a flex. It's mm-hmm. it's a little flexible. There's no like you know Teflon tubes in there or anything that kinks if you bend it too much. It's just. It's also due to its construction because it's coiled like that. It it kind of acts as a spring in a yeah. way that you can bend it back and forth and it gives and it gaps. It it, get, it offers yep. relief. So mm-hmm. it, there's so there's not quick kinks or whatever in the solid conduct. So the so the neutral so on a power cable you have three conductors live in in America, I should say. Because we are uh, 120 single phase. Um so you have a live conductor with 120 on it, you have a neutral conductor with theoretically nothing on it. Uh, and a ground conductor with all the all the you know noise and stuff, but but nothing much on there either. So the the thought is that you take the neutral and the ground and you spiral them around the live. And actually, with the neutral, you double it up, so you have a larger gauge on the neutral and a longer path than the than the live. But uh, the the this so I found this recipe online at at image ninety nine dot net. Uh, this guy's website i think steve reeve is his name and it's really cool um uh approach that he's taken all across all these cables and uh a lot of people that have made these helix cables of his but um you know he offers suggestions and for the conductor types and um he offers some really great advice for example uh, getting spades and and crimp and soldering each thing so that you have it's a it's a strong power cable you know so you, and it's also better contact um, connection in, because you've got these screw down connectors with power cables so you have a screw plate and so it's a lot better when you've got a a spade in there anyway so yeah I, I made this cable really quick put it in um, I have not installed the IEC jack on my old Audi, Audi Research tube amp yet so. It's so I just put the new cable on the on the DAC, the digital mm-hmm. analog converter, and this is a cable with twelve gauge uh, live conductor, so it's it can handle a lot of current. So it's meant for an amplifier. I'm I'm I've I've now since ordered uh, wire for the uh, source cable that I'm going to make, which will be smaller gauge and uh, and some you know a different uh, live uh, signal conductor material so it seems to me like you're messing around with some rf based things if you know for the dac i think that's really when you're talking about shielding is important upstream components like that you're certainly there there are no um no like you know dynamic uh conditions with those you know they're just pulling a constant current unlike an amplifier that's actually pulling current from the wall right um this is a a a constant uh, current draw um, from a from a component like that, but whether it's a phono stage or it's a preamplifier or it's a DAC, you know, I I do believe that the RF um, characteristics and how everything is is in the system, it's it's just a big, you know, circuit in RF. Your whole system is, and and as you move the cables, even the resonance at megahertz will change, and so you're changing all of those those little things because when we're in the uh, like emi chambers where we're in a, like an anechoic chamber and we're able to measure uh components of how much uh, radiated mm, electromagnetic yeah. energy that they're radiating right um 
small little you just change cables the way that they're positioned right and the resonance frequencies change yeah and, and that's you can tweak on you can tweak on screws on how how tight a screw is huh. and the resonance you can watch in real time as the resonance changes dude that's crazy so so all this stuff your chassis how that's yeah. How that's designed, how the chassis is masked, which means areas that they don't paint and has metal on metal contact between like a top cover and a side right, cover to, or something like that. To maintain a cage, right? All of that, exactly. All of that, I believe, contributes towards audio quality. Yeah, interesting. And, and power cables, I believe, with the upstream stuff, it's ex- uh, a similar thing that you're doing is yeah. you're changing the RF properties of, of the system. Hmm. Where I, you know, all of these more um, lower frequency problems like regulation and overall resistance of the cable, like the gauge of the cable, yeah, all of that applies more to power amplifiers. Gotcha. Than, than these upstream components that really don't pull much current at all. And then also that current is, is, um, is more static. Yeah. So you really want uh, shielding and rejection for that kind of stuff. Um, I'm interested to see what kind of thing conductor material, you know, plays a role in. Um, I know in the, in the past we've, you and I are kind of like cable geometry, you know, guys where we're, we're, we're really interested in cable geometry for these same reasons that you're talking about Yeah, for the shielding and that kind of thing. We, we like other properties like the connector quality and the, uh, the conductor itself. Right. But I think that cable geometry is extremely important probably the most important yeah but but connector quality that's an opportunity for for resistance for yeah you know yes uh especially with the power amp cable yeah you know i think the terminations are are probably some of the highest impedance part of the cable yeah yeah Yeah. so you really got to get that right um so anyway yeah i'm i'm very excited so so listening impressions yeah i popped in the cable and um, like I like I've mentioned about my system, I can really hear everything burn in. Doesn't matter the type of thing, the type of what the the burn in experience is different for different types of things, but I can hear it all. Um, and you know, one of the biggest things is when you throw eight new capacitors in the whole amp circuit, like I did that one time with the MyFlex, and just goes way back to ground zero where it's horrible, and then it changes and stuff. Um, you know, changing these, changing the power cable on the DAC um, was, yeah, f- f- was on the scale of changes. Um, something's smaller than than some and larger than others, I would say. It was a pretty profound uh, experience where um, this is very, this is pretty similar to the, the fuses actually in the way that I described those and that like the, the amplifier and the system are still the same, but what I noticed from the new power cable was um, a little more confidence in that same sound, uh, a little more confidence. The 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 pace and rhythm are really good. So so putting on uh, Bikram Josh, the uh, Indian drummer that we featured, mm. um, I'm gonna say six uh, album recommendations yep, ago. Yep. Um, that kind of stuff is. Is crazy. Like I gotta put that on before you leave. Uh, it's just, you know, it's very different than some other music that I play. It's 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 like a torture test for your your amplifier and <clears throat> and the system. But 
Um, so I, I, I hear this confidence of the same, the same character, just a lot stronger. And then the, the, the edges of the soundstage became a lot, a lot more vivid. So mm. instead of being, being, uh, a, a little more background, it, it, it just kind of solidified just, that was about the, the, the main change. I did notice mm. an increase in overall hologram kind of overall soundstage depth and and stuff and an increase in realism so all the type of stuff that i like as an audiophile which is what we're going to get into in today's topic um so all the all the changes i've made lately have been have been really uh, according to what i like and what i'm trying to get for my system so still just success after success man i'm i'm stoked your system sounds awesome and um this week we're actually going to uh, go camping this week and in Colorado yep. here it's starting to get warmer it's starting to get in that yep. zone where where we can camp again and uh, Duncan and I love camping um I think we'll go somewhere where there's a river and you need to bring your fly stuff and we'll go okay dual fishing too cuz I think fishing. Yep. yeah cuz yep. I think the freestone rivers are are uh, <clears throat> losing their ice and they're starting to rise and cool. it's March man it's yeah. it's what's March 21st today and Spring I, I is, cannot believe it's spring March is around 21st. the corner. Yep. I cannot believe it. And um, <laughs> it just snuck up on me. And so uh, I was actually thinking about doing a camping episode. Oh, okay. We'll have to bring. Yeah. So it's going to be lower quality. Yeah. But, uh, well, but we could do we it could on the, the Alesis. No, we could we could run oh. it from my truck. Okay. So I don't think I have to have the truck. I think I have to have the truck on. But we but I've got an extension cable. We could. We could definitely do this. All right, we're going to do this. All right. This is going to be Camping fun. episode <clears throat> coming up. Sounds good. All right. Yeah. But uh, what else has been going on with me? Anything else? I'm mastering two more EPs. Yeah. Uh, so today I started working on uh, two more albums. Um, and that's pretty fun. And and a lot more fun now that I'm my my system is dialed in and, and really revealing and really great. So, yeah. That is awesome. It's sounding great. And then Thursday night... We have a listening session with uh, Chris Brunhaver and Jordan Camper. Yes, yeah. So, uh, so I'm gonna bring the boys by the house. Yeah, uh, the the girls are going on a little adventure of their own. So um, Wednesday night, I think we're gonna go camp, and then Thursday night have a have jo- a listening session. Jordan is actually a uh, a technician. He's the engineering technician for PS Audio, and he recently designed and built these um, 45 single-edited triode Jordan's amplifiers. Jordan's a DIY tube, master. Yeah, tube, uh, or uh, it's a uh, two watts uh, per channel uh, f- using 45s. And, Whole top uh, plate of his amps is copper. copper. Yeah. yeah, it's it, awesome. The Lambazator style. It is great, yeah. so Lambazator style with no transformers on top, just tubes. It's really cool. It is really. It's a really neat design. He's currently burning them in, and then he's designing these high-efficiency, um, I think like eight, uh, 97 or 98 um, DB uh, speakers for uh, for them. So. so that's another uh, engineer over at PS Audio, and, and we often have Chris Brunhaver on to talk about yeah. speakers. And so you guys are just getting a great great taste of of I guess what's going on behind the scenes at this company. You know, not not often do you get a, a really good view. You usually get kind of like a a market from the marketing department view of these companies and. You know, uh, you get to see the stuff that they want to show and that kind of thing. But it's really cool when to get to know 
some of the engineering department at at PS and and realize that they're kind of audiophile junkies, just like uh, you or me. So anyway, uh, yeah, that's Jordan. Jordan Camp, a great guy. Yeah, he's got a great ear too. All right, so uh, this week we've got um, we had a couple emails uh, with just with kudos, and and we really appreciate uh, we 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 really appreciate these emails where where you guys uh, somebody might email and just say how much they're enjoying the podcast and and that that just gives us such great encouragement to keep doing this you know this, this is an effort to do it, it is a lot of fun for us too but anyway appreciate those emails um we did get one great question from a guy named soto rebelos and uh he is asking about uh interesting speakers the yamaha ns 1000 M the 1000 NS 1000 monitors. Okay. Uh, Soto writes, hello. I dig the podcast and try to catch each episode. I recently picked up a pair of Yamaha NS 1000 M's, which I've always loved. They have a mixed bag of opinions. To me, they sound like the gear that they are running. I have a couple of questions though. What are your thoughts on these legendary speakers? Secondly, what would you recommend as an amp? Either integrated or separate. Thoughts on the Yamaha B2 line magnetic shit f- or a shit Freya preamp uh, tube pre with a dual shit power amps. Lots of options. Also, we'll be adding a rel sub. Thank you. Okay, so thanks for the email, Soto, and to anybody else that would love to email a question just like this or a question about uh, something relating to audiophile hobby. Uh, feel free to email us at hi-fi at outlook.com. But I went and checked out these Yamaha NS1000Ms. I'm somewhat familiar, but actually wasn't as familiar as I thought because I, I did not know that they feature uh, a 3.5-inch beryllium dome mid-range. That's ridiculous. As well as a 1.2-inch beryllium dome tweeter. So this was made in 1974, and they were doing non uh, non traditional sizes of domes in a material that people didn't get into for thirty years later, right? I mean, beryllium, man, in nineteen seventy four. I did not realize that. Blew my mind. What what, what was the price you said these were? Was uh, around a thousand? Yeah, yeah. Nine fifty, I think it's seventy-four, a thousand dollars. So this is a That's big pretty deal. expensive, yeah. And I would guess that it's it was Yamaha's like like best product or something at the time. It'd like, have to be like flagship it, type something. stuff. Yeah. Mm. So you're looking at this; it's really cool. Um, it's got that vintage, um, vintage look, the kind of Sansui look with the you know the wide front baffle it's it's wider than it is deep it's yeah, it's a it's classic like the, design the 70s, 70s monitor 70s monitor yep but beryllium very cool so yeah i mean um soto we're just looking at this and you know looking at the some specs on it um uh the crossover frequencies for the mid-range are 500 hertz and for the tweeter 6000 hertz so i mean a lot of scientific it's a lot of research going into this trying to move yeah. the, t- the tweeter crossover be outside of the bounds of the human voice yeah and that brilliant mid probably has such a high resonance or breakup yeah that they can push it that high 
That's interesting. Yeah. Well, yeah, it must have a pretty wide, well, wide yeah, band. Come, the tweeter's coming in at 6K. Is that right? Yep. And, and the, yeah, and the a, mid is brought in at 500, which means it probably can go down to two or 300, right? With some output. Yeah. In terms have of, to. you know, you... Because they're using second Unless orders. it's really, really steep. Yeah. No, they're using seconds. Seconds. Yeah, yeah. it's listed. Yeah. Oh, interesting. Okay. Yeah. yeah so, um, it's, it's just really forward thinking engineering happening in 1974. 90 really dB is. sensitive. Yeah. So you can work on the, uh, cool. a variety of amplifiers with this. Yeah. But I would say that you, you do want something, an amplifier, amplification that's fleshy. Right, because with with this kind of monitor setup, I mean, there is there is an L pad on the mid range and an L pad on the on the tweeter. So L pad is is a potentiometer. It's a variable resistor, so it's a knob that allows you to dial it up and down, kind of a dimmer knob or whatever on the tweeter in the mid range. Mm-hmm. Um, so one of the things, by the way, Soto, you wanna you wanna listen for is any kind of crackling as you move that. Um, those are something that, you know, any, any kind of older speakers, usually those are failure points where you really want to get some deoxit in yep. there. And, and then just once you spray it in the the actual pot, just work the pot back and forth yeah, back for a and while. forth, sweep it. Yep. I, so I recommend the Keg uh, D5 uh, deoxit. I believe it's called D5. I actually would do that no matter what, to be honest with you. Yeah, with that as soon age, as you get them. Just take just that corrosion, take that corrosion yep. out of there yep. and clean, clean that uh, pot up. You know, if you're really getting after it, you could remove the drivers and, and uh, there's a good chance that the, the wires are not soldered onto the the drivers themselves but actually have tabs and yeah uh, like push on yeah yep. mm-hmm. so you, you want to throw some deoxid on there too um you know so but anyway lots of amps will work with this 90 db yeah so i would think that you want something a little fleshy you mentioned the yamaha b2 which is that vfet amplifier so it was yeah. sony that came up with the vfet was that it yeah it was a sony vfet yep mm-hmm. so yamaha i guess you know this is one of the well-known amplifiers to use that the vfets is the b2 yeah, and, and the unique property of vfets is that they have actually a triode uh transfer curve on them oh interesting so they're not a, like a standard pento type so curve which is up like this mosfets jfets bipolars yeah. all those types of semiconductors those actually have pentode-like transfer curves. Which is what? More of a straight line or what? So it's, On the loads? Well, it's it's going to be hard to describe oh, okay. it yeah. <laughs> through the... I'm doing it with my Sorry, finger I'm, here. I'm but, asking you questions yeah. that we can't really answer. Um, well. But, uh, but you know, it's... Yeah, the, the curve is different than... Hmm. than uh, a triode curve is, looks more linear going up. Yeah. And then the uh, pentode curve actually starts going up, oh, and then it flattens. And then it out. flattens. Yeah, that's right. That's right. And, and it so goes, up um, and goes does that. And so that is uh, so. There's the pentode curve, and then the the triode curve. Well, these VFETs have more of a a triode curve to them. Well, they they do have a triode curve, and that's why Nelson passes kind of. Um, made them popular again and has uh you know bought up he found some source of them so he's bought up some of them and started making some uh, oh. first watts with vfets yeah cool oh yeah. first watt stuff so cool mm-hmm. actually first watt amps i don't know if i'd put them on these it might be too speedy but this is again what we're going to cut down to in this in this episode of of the hi-fi podcast is we're talking about 
what do audiophiles want? You know, um, there's so much that's subjective here. Um, you, if you've got a monitor, something that's called a monitor, you're right over there. Yep. <laughs> um, something that's called a monitor is going to be kind of revealing and by nature ruthless, like less euphonic. Um, and so do you mate an amplifier that's known to be uh, nimble-footed, very present and 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 quick and um, and revealing, like have the same kind of monitor characters and characteristics in an amp, which like an I S300. can... An S300. An S300 or... It would be kind of along those lines. I would say Pass Labs or anything any of these first watch things they they just always strike me as yes some of them can be really musical but all of them yeah. are are really they're just speedy i don't know how else well, to say it yeah that's why i mentioned that's 300 because it's like it's forward and speedy yeah and that's not what i think you should go with, with exactly this. yes unless you that's want, what you, you want, want something a little bit more laid back yeah for this speaker that's my that's my instinct too. yeah um but then getting into the old vfet stuff like that um that one sony monitor uh model that you mentioned the, the yamaha BG. oh yamaha model um uh you know when you're buying an amp that old you know a lot of the capacitors especially even in the signal path uh you know they're gonna have to that thing's gonna have to be maintenanced and brought up to speed. Yeah. So it's something to take in consideration that you're dealing with old electronics that can that can fail. Um, what I think would be a really great mate, which you've already said, would be some of the first watt stuff or like low wattage Nelson Pass designs. Yeah, and at would 90 be dB, really, it could definitely handle yeah, that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I would get like 20, 30 watts. 20 I think he watts, makes yeah, he makes sure. like a thirty watt or something like oh, that. Oh yeah, yeah. Um, In the something F&J like line. that make a get a class A amplifier on these things. I think it would be pretty sweet. Yeah, class A. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah you 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 mentioned a couple other thoughts. Um, line magnetic. I would actually say yes. Uh, there's a lot of like line magnetic amps in in that wattage range around the 20 watt um think what's the um what's the impedance curve like on these speakers yeah that's a good question um, they call them eight eight ohms but i don't see you have to look curve. see that's the yeah. other thing is you want to for a tube amplifier you want something that is rather benign um from throughout the range yeah so um that's just because you know when you see the impedance uh, spec on the back of a speaker that's just a nominal impedance and so that's kind of like an an average where does this roughly uh, uh sit the speaker but really every every speaker th- or every frequency throughout the range the actual impedance is varying and so you want to look at that impedance curve and if it varies a whole lot so you know at one point it's two ohms and then another point it's 10 ohms and like that, that is not a speaker that's going to be very friendly to tubes. Um, you'd want something that has a lower output impedance, a higher damping factor uh, amplifier for uh, something that that is uh, that has a very like dynamic uh, impedance curve. But okay. something that is more benign will be better for tubes. I found it. Uh, it's it's not a graph, but it says <clears throat> here's the minimum and the maximum where they lie. Um, Oh. I- impedance minimum is 4.6 ohms at 99 hertz and the maximum is 30 ohms at 39 hertz so think about that at 39 hertz it's 30 ohms really high pretty high and yeah. then dips right down way down to 4.5 at, at at 100 basically yeah yeah 
Um, and then, so, so, so that basically you, you don't want something with a, with a large Q with a high Q because, because that's going to increase the, um, but you you don't want an amplifier that like has a, a speaker having the same kind of impedance rise at a hundred where this one has uh at, let's see at a hundred hertz it has a four point six ohm yeah um, so it's essentially not benign <laughs> it's, it's not benign it's yeah, not for it, tubes it's uh it's not for tubes you I would put a solid on. state amplifier yeah. I'd go with the pat my my vote's past labs for this past labs yeah only because the the B two you you don't know if the V fets are gonna fail you don't know if they're original you don't know yeah if the and if you feel comfortable go. with all that like buying some old you know an it old it would piece. match it Yamaha and Yamaha yeah it it would. But um, yeah, just uh, make sure to get it serviced. You're like yeah. those probably use electrolytics in the signal path. Uh, they use, of course, electrolytics in the power supply. And by by now, you need to replace those. Like it won't be good. An electrolytic literally has a shelf life, where if you just didn't even use the electrolytic and you let it sit for forty years, it's not going to be good anymore. It's not going to be good. So you um, can't so, like reform. It's not going to get there. Exactly. So. Uh, so you need to be able to maintenance that amplifier and make sure it's up to spec, or else you could actually blow the amplifier. If it if some of those caps fail, you could have a you know a meltdown, um, and things won't be good. I've so. seen it; it's terrible. <laughs> okay, I've seen it too. Well, uh, thanks Soto for this great email. Uh, these speakers are really cool. Um, so best of luck with that. And it sounds like you're just having fun over there. So yep. we're, uh, we're jealous of the fun you're having. That's great. Listen That's on, man. Good. Listen on. Have some fun. Yeah. Yep. All right. So moving on from questions, let's get into this topic. Truth or buffered reality. What did you mean by that? When you texted me that we were talking about topic ideas, buffered reality. Yeah. So it's, it's a play it's on, this, uh, on a buffer stage, right? That, yeah. Well, it's this, um, well, the buffers part of it could be whatever you, whatever you want to apply in the buffer stage. It's, it's whatever coloration or whatever mm. addition to the sound that you want in your system. Yeah. Like a chef. And so know, the, like, the like question is, taste. is, is if I was a mastering engineer, I would want truth. Yeah. But if I'm an audiophile, I may not want truth because truth may be uh, may show the warts, or truth may even expose things in the music that isn't beautiful. And that's yeah. that's one thing about music isn't always beautiful. And I think some audiophiles forget about that, that they go, oh, you know, I'm finding it a little bit forward. I'm finding it a little bit harsh. You know, the symbols are in my face. And it's like, well, that's how symbols sound. Yeah. You know, have you ever been next to a drum kit and a, a drummer that plays really hard? Yeah. I mean, like symbols are... You know, they're, you don't want to be there for exactly. Too long. Yeah, you don't want to be there too long. So, so that is what I mean by truth is showing off. Like, if you have a highly dynamic system that super low distortion, and a recording that is highly dynamic and mastered uh, um, for truth in a way, and not peppered like some audiophile recordings are with a lot of warmth and lushness. Um, you know, I mean, the drum kit when you turn it up might be a little bit forward and in your face, the snare might be snary. And, and sometimes I get the feeling like, you know, audiophiles, including me want a, you know, to buffer that reality and, and have my own reality. Yeah. And that's what I meant by, by this topic was 
was what is what is better for the audiophile? Is it is it that truth that isn't always beautiful, or is it beauty all the time in your eyes? Like what's what's your lens? Well, here's what that makes me think of <clears throat> when you get into the mastering and get into the recording. It's it's like you're saying it's the artist's responsibility to make it beautiful, and it's my responsibility as a person putting together a system that will undoubtedly cal- color the music in some way to, to make it truthful and, and to have, to have both be in that truthful camp where the mastering engineer is trying to make it sound like the person in a, in a, in a room. So if somebody's singing, you say, Oh, that's Sharon, because that sounds like Sharon more. It sounds so much like Sharon. It's recognizable or, you know, as opposed to like, like if, if, if that was the goal of the recording engineer and the mastering engineer was to, was to make a warts and all truth documentary mm. of this is what it sounded like in the space. Um, it's a strange thing because from their perspective, like I was doing mastering today and that's not what I was going for. I was trying to make this guy's EP sound beautiful. I was trying to make mm. his voice sumptuous and there's things i can do to help with that there's frequency response things but there's also timing things and and so anyway like like for me it's a guy that's trying to make an album to show people to get to get ahead in the music business so i've got to make it as gorgeous as possible as the mastering engineer so I'm basically never going to have that, oh, I'm a documentarian. I need to show it warts and all. This is, you know, everything. What if, what if Sharon had a, you know, an, an acidic voice, for instance? Like, you know, something that was very forward. I mean, one artist that jumps out to me who has like kind of a um, edgy voice is Van Morrison. Mm-hmm. Um, his his voice actually has this edge at like a, you know, I don't know, kilohertz or a couple kilohertz. There is this really forwardness in his voice. And so I use, sometimes I use his recordings and, and, you know, it, it, his voice sounds better on a lot of a tube equipment that kind of warms everything up and mm-hmm. colors it up and, and takes that edge away. But I know that he has that voice that that's the way he sounds in real life is that it is a forward voice. Well, you only know that and, because of what the band decided to show you. So I think, yeah, that, but that he when, has, he has a lot of albums and they're all, that's the way Vance. Well, I think, I think you just decide early on as a band, is this an asset? Like, do, do we lean into this or, or do we, you know, in every session, you know, he, here's my EQ requirements for my mic when you go to a new studio, you're like, Hey guy, I'm going to sing it. I like this kind of mic. And, and I like these EQ settings yeah. because you've learned that, Oh, my voice needs a little bit of this. Or do you lean into it and, and you kind of emphasize it a but little But someone like Van wouldn't say, make my voice sound better. He would say my voice already is the best. Well, I, okay. So, sure. so he's, I want my we voice to sound. Perspectives. Yeah. I want my, I want my sound to sound like my voice. Like yeah. an artist doesn't want to pepper yeah. their own sound. Yeah, right. They 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 already see themselves as as the the art that needs to be captured. Yeah, well, it's interesting. Artists do all kinds of stuff. Like um, so, some artists always double up their voice, right? Always sing over themselves because of a lack of confidence in the way they sound singularly, mm. right? Um, then and you have Billy Eilish. Okay, because you mentioned that. Yeah, I just. 
realized that her recordings are like her singing on top of her voice yeah. like 10 times. Oh, And that's that sound of that, that really beautiful yep. sound that her brother kind of did all the mastering and huh. is this production genius and actually has that kind of real depth in her voice. Yeah. It's just her voice overlapped on many different... See, I think he just took takes. something that people have done before and went further with it. Sounds yeah, like. yeah, yeah, uh, sure, yeah. Sure, sure. Interesting. Yeah, I, I just realized. I just thought I'd mention that because yeah, yeah, I yeah. just realized, like someone um, that I know uh, uh, actually bought this piece of equipment that had the master of one of her songs, hmm. and then realized that it was like ten overlapping tracks on her voice. Oh wow! And so, um, and so, uh, so I just I, I, then I now every time I hear her. I hear the like the multiple tracks the layers. and how and how yeah. they do that little subtlety and and then yeah. it's it's basically one main vocal track and then these little subtleties yeah. on all of it yeah. like whispers and like that kind of yeah. stuff you know air and, all and stuff like that and that's how you added. make that sound yeah. um, that she has and um, I don't know I thought I'd mention that it's just something a realization oh, I had cool. uh, listen to a Billy Eilish track and then. And you'll hear it now. Oh, and then you have Jimi Hendrix that plays uh, a lead guitar along with the melody that he's singing because of his lack of confidence in his singing ability. He would play and sing, and the and the guitar would help reinforce the notes that he was trying to hit and kind of like translate the melody better, you know, because of his own uh, insecurities. I think so, we're stumbling on one of the main points in this whole topic which is that the recordings themselves are not reality. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That yeah, they're yeah. productions. Yes. And so you get, to, you get to experience those productions the way you want to experience them. I've always 100%. been, that's always been my stance because there's, in, audio, in the audio community, there's also the guys who say, truth, why would you want to change what the artist did? Right, only reproduce. And and, and my uh, my arg- I have a few arguments to that. First is that well, maybe I don't agree with their taste. Maybe I just want it to sound the way I want it to sound, which is one of the big advantages of of having tube amplifiers. You get to roll the tubes until you're happy yeah. with it. Yeah. Uh, analog, where you get to change the cartridge, the, the loading of the cartridge, the weight on the cartridge, the the azimuth in the cartridge, the uh, all those little tweaks that you do in analog. And you get to dial it just to what you want, right? So you get to create your own sound and your own lens that you look through or you hear through. And um, and so that's where I stand on this topic is that I think that uh, I think that music or or I should say recordings are already augmented reality. They're not. It's not actual yeah. truth to begin with. And so you can't say that there is a truth. You can't stress over it too much either, I think, because of that. Yes, it, it, it can be our goal as listeners and as people assembling systems to, to... It can be a goal to try to add as little as possible and try to make really revealing and neutral things using neutral. But it's, but it's by far not doesn't make you not an audiophile if you're if you're not doing that if if you're going for um you know some spice and salt and pepper to taste if you're trying to create something that because it's i i think 
one of the things that this hobby tends to do is get you locked into one style because it takes uh, a lot of research. It takes a lot of money. It takes a lot of time. It takes a lot of uh, smoothing out with people you live with to be able to secure this much space to have something that never moves that other people can't play with that kind of becomes this 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 part of a house so it's it's tough to get a a great stereo system into your life and have it be and have it be set to be like a quote unquote reference mm-hmm. so so much so that very few people have multiple setups of this going on but if if you ever go take the same music the same Billie Eilish song from one system with one set of speakers and a whole synergistic thing going on there to totally different type of speakers and type of presentations. Say go from a euphonic system Mm -hmm. to a, a ruthlessly revealing system. It's, it's different music. The Mm -hmm. music is different. Your whole experience with the music is different. One of the things I think about is, am I thinking about the system? So I go from one where, Mm -hmm. The music is more forward and it gets me to not think about anything about the system. And then Mm -hmm. another one that all I can think about is tweeters, time alignment, cabling. Well, I I think one of the reasons for that is that in the phonic system, it has a distortion and a coloration that you like and that you control. In the ruthless system, you have distortions that you don't control and you don't know what they are. And there are also distortions that are, I see it as like this, there's this distortion floor, especially in electronics, where you can choose to add a distortion and, and control that coloration, or you choose to go the route of super high feedback and, and you know, um, uh, you know, objectivist parts and, and, uh, and, and ultra low distortion and ultra good measurements. And then what you're doing is you've just stripped all of the, the control distortions away and now you're hearing distortions that you don't have control anymore of. So it's, it's like this idea of creating the more ruthless of a component you create, the the more you strip it down to these innate distortions that you don't have control over. Yeah. I like that perspective. That's interesting. And, and that's the way I view it as a designer is that I want to get above that distortion floor and be able to control and yeah. paint that distortion yeah. so that it is a beautiful thing yeah, and not like not that. just okay. the the um the dirt on the floor so uh this reminds me of the way people talk about uh conductor types copper versus silver as it co- relates to interconnects uh is is a lot of people with a lot of experience with different types of interconnects will say that if you move up to a good silver interconnect it's essentially you're you're laying bare the problems then in your system it's it's going to it's going to show off more of the problems that are going on so the question is always is your system ready for silver or do you still need copper in order to enjoy your music yeah you know it's it's all of this is saying the same thing a from great, a few different perspectives yeah yeah that's a great parallel but yeah. mm-hmm. you know it's it's saying that okay on on the conductance scale copper is 100% silver is 107% silver oxide is 130% or whatever so you've got basically the ultimate con- conductor over here 
and it's and they're saying yeah there's there's not going to be enough distortion going on in this conductor to to cover other things that are going on your 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 inferior power cables or whatever yep um, so yeah uh yeah and i just in in ordering my supplies for my next DIY cable that'll be for my source for be for my DAC. You know, I had my finger hovering over the silver conductor for a while and it's so much more expensive. It's like seven times as expensive. Mm-hmm. I'm just like Ugh. it's an investment though. It'll go up, you know, as time goes on. I decided against it. <laughs> I'm gonna go with um some really nice copper, but you know, UPOCC or something and I really- usually tend to like copper. Um, but I haven't gone too far down that road. And every time I do silver, I do find that I end up losing musicality. Just in my previous experiences, I'm still going to try it in the future and try to make it work. And musicality, the way you're describing it is exactly how we're talking about it, which is essentially that does your mind get pulled away from the music and toward the system Mm -hmm. or is it, you just, it's going to be detail forward. Yeah, with so, a lot of so them. my latest changes to my system, in, in, including reterminating of the conductors and using or connectors of my speaker cables and using much better con- conduct connectors. I think I had silver plated copper on there now. Now I have solid silver on the on the bananas that go into the amp, and I have rhodium on the connections to the speaker. And um, you know, uh. What I've been doing is doing that, you know, salt and pepper to taste. I'm getting the euphonic to to revealing, uh, you know, changeover point. Let's let's call it like the 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 kind of balancing it. The balancing point, yeah. you know, mm-hmm. the the the, the vortex or the um, what what would you call that? Ver- uh, anyway, the the, va- the balancing point on this scale, and I'm moving it toward revealing. And I'm stopping just before I stop thinking about the music. I mean, that's really what it was doing was I was getting more detail and more revealing information. Yeah. But I'm, but I'm getting just to the point where it's still, I, I just getting overcome by the music, you know, and it's this big old tapestry of sound and I'm just, I'm, yeah, I'm, I'm not thinking yeah. about the system. So that, I'm right that's where why, I want to be. That's why this is, this stuff is art, you know, and it's, it's yeah. like, it's not, necessarily we, we we can use the beautiful thing about audio is that we use science to to create art yeah and that for me is the that's the future of that's of art you know is is like this is this is just the beginning a lot of people talk about you know the golden ages of hi-fi in the 80s and the spec wars and why is it not good anymore and like you know we had analog and now the sound's broken the sound's gone you know, and it's I like that's not the way I view it. I view that we're this is a very early stage in a beautiful art that is going to become more mainstream. More people are going to get into it. the The affordability is going to become um, is going to be it's become it's going to become more affordable, and we're seeing that through streaming and low price DACs and equipment that essentially is much higher performance at a lower price. Yeah, we've never seen before. we've never seen that before. Yeah, um, and and. Uh, you know, I'm I'm excited about the future, and I'm, I'm you know an optimistic guy 
in the audio community. It's not, you know, these guys are ah, like, you know, it used to be good and like now it's not. Right. It's not the way I view it at all. But it's still, we need to view it as art. We need to view it that it's not like, you know, an iPhone. It's not like the way every, every iteration, you know, is an added feature and it's superior over the last model and it's, it's you know, longer battery life and it's lighter and and it's faster and so it's it, audio is not like that it, it's about refinement and it's about um balance of of you know your preferences and also balance of convenience too that's a big factor in it like are you willing to go into analog where it's not convenient you have to get up switch the record you're gonna have to buy the record um you know and so all these things we balance into creating an experience for ourselves and the, that balance of do I want truth and do I want to buffer that reality? Uh, I think is a question that we all need to ask ourselves and figure out where, where we want our systems to, to lie. Yeah. I also think that it's going to track with recording and what's going on in the recording world. I think in the last podcast, you mentioned that, that nowadays recordings are being made that sound better than ever. Yes. Uh, digital recordings are being made that, that blow out of the water. So many recordings in all, in all of recorded music's past because yep. of the capabilities of all of the connected equipment, because mm-hmm. of the superiority of modern digital audio workstation software, being able to process things at 128 bits or whatever. Yeah. The only thing I'll add to that is that it's very genre specific there. Um, it seems that jazz and classical are excelling and taking actually advantages of, of the technology yeah. that we have in, yeah. in recording. Um, where, uh, where actually modern or more popular music has actually gone downhill. Um, it can. And so, and so, you know, a lot of bad compression, yes. a lot of digital artifacts, um, a lot of bad recordings out there too, a lot due to bad mastering or bad recording techniques due to uh, cheaper studios that are being used. Like we've, we've mentioned that before, how, you know, people build studios in their basement, you know, with a little knowledge and think that they're recording engineers. There's a few and, things that are going on. So it so says the in- information age has, pr- has, produced more self-recordings than ever yeah which are not going to be as good as big recording studios in the 70s or something at the same time the 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 software that's available to people doing their own recordings in their house is is light years beyond what it began with in the digital age and what it used to be well when i started out really bad when Um, i was young i could get a four track cassette recorder Mm-hmm. You know, but that was, yeah. that was about all I could exactly. afford. And uh, yep. beyond that, then you're going into eight track reel to reel. And, mm-hmm. and it's just like, uh, the, the price of admission for being able to record yourself was a lot higher before mm-hmm. than it is now. So it's this weird combination of those things. Yeah. So, I, yeah. So I think, I think that when it comes to truth, we are getting closer to truth. In we're getting closer to being able to, um, to to be more truthful in our systems because the recordings are going to be better. I agree with that. So yeah. that's that. That was my point. Was that that this is going to track with the recording industry? Yeah. And hopefully, though. And when everything is is a lot better, when yeah. when when all popular stuff sounds like sounds open and and 
cool like some of these jazz I, recordings I, I hope though but but the, see that's not their intent you know like those those guys don't see any you know any they don't see a dollar more for making something that is, that is better so so what's their motivation you know they may not even know like a lot of these they have not even heard the person mastering that may not even have heard the systems that that you know like okay audio files i got a here. question for so, you last week's recommended album pino paladino notes with attachments mm-hmm. What was the motivation for them to have such interesting sub bass on that album? If you compare that album to a hundred other albums, not not one of those hundred albums is going to have the same amount and in kind of amount of detail on the sub bass octave, the very bottom octave. So I think that when I'm listening, bassist here. (laughs) Well, you're talking about a bassist, but I but I listen to a lot of bassists' albums. So yeah, yeah. My favorite may not be, you know, they may not be aware of. That's what I'm asking. Yeah, yeah. So my two favorite bass players, uh, Bubby Lewis and Derek Hodge, are both prolific self-composers and they have very interesting compositions and one of the things Derek Hodge does is he has a really low bass line in all his songs and then he has a soloing bass line over it so it's like two basses playing but there's not there's there's appropriate sub information there his recordings are spectacular yeah we're gonna feature one don't worry yeah in in the future but but there's appropriate sub information where there's just a little bit of it and Mm -hmm. it's in it and there's more with the lower notes but this was full-on this was almost like um uh the um polybrass album uh or was it was it polybrass no electro goozy you know that uh that um here let me pull up this this album um the one of these albums of yours that uh anyway uh well it's got synthetic here hang on electro goozy yeah uh you're gonna recognize it polybrass this one oh yeah yeah polybrass yeah yeah so this album polybrass by a a group called electro goozy and uh electro with a k and goozy with two z's yeah that one's crazy fantastic album it's got real trombone players and then it's got synthetic synth uh, trombone that they use way down low yeah right and so it's it's got this un (sighs) synthetically low kind of thing yeah so anyway uh Pino's doing that on that album. So so are they do they have a really great sub setup in their recording studio? Um to the point where they're like, hey, there's an octave that nobody messes with. Why don't we have like a bunch of stuff down here? Because I, I'm making this point and I'm drawing it out because when you listen to this album, it's got sub bass that 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 just wows you yeah and it's but well it's done very dialed yeah. in mm-hmm. to the point where nothing is too much so that so yes. that it overdoes so the more you listen to this as a as a mixing engineer i'm thinking man they did a lot of work on that dot bottom end to right. make sure that it wasn't too much that it was yep. very even and very just the right amount so that's why uh, a lot of audiophiles actually prefer not to have wideband systems so they prefer actually not to run their um like to, not to have zero db down at 20 hertz a little more euphonic that because way. um because a lot of recordings are really sloppy and messy and also yeah. boosted up there because they're being mastered on systems that aren't aren't flat aren't flat at, and at so they're boosting it and it sounds yeah. better on the smaller speakers yep 
But when you put it on, you know, a, a system that has two 18s and runs, you know, uh, to 15 hertz and you can, you know, output 110 dB at 15 hertz and stuff like that, um, uh, yeah, it, it comes off as sloppy and, and way too much bass and all that. But then you put on some of these really well-recorded uh, albums where obviously the, the playback system that was used was also really wide bandwidth. And uh, and it sounds amazing on, yeah. on when you have big subs that are flat. It stands but out against the a rest. Lot of, a lot of audiophiles will prefer subs that roll off earlier that have this fast and musical approach. Mm. Versus verse subs that are flat and will actually expose problems with a lot of recordings. So uh, this is like a little bit like our recording for our podcast last week. We switched to, we're down in the basement in my house now, and we switched to this this board, and we're getting Spitif out and Spitif directly into the computer now. And because of that, I I I missed a step that I usually have with this second board we we used to use, where there's a. Um, like a high pass filter so at 85 hertz it's a, called a rumble it's a rumble filter for microphone boards and stuff like that i forgot that so i was listening back to our podcast last week's podcast in the truck oh and we didn't have that on. and i have a subwoofer in my truck okay and it was just yeah, like right boom. and i touch my stand all the time it's yeah just like it was a, just so i'm constantly adjusting my mic so it's probably so much yeah. sub bass way too much because um, these are ribbon mics so anyway i i went in fixed that re-uploaded it and and apologies to anyone who was listening with a really wide band system to our podcast and blow out your but woofers it was very bass heavy last week <laughs> and so but you were telling me that it sounded great on the iphone yeah and yeah, this yeah. is what we're talking about mm-hmm. where, where if mm-hmm. you don't have a playback and monitoring system that is truly full wide bandwidth um you're you're going to be attracted to things that tease that bottom end yeah when you, you you may have no idea how actually loose it is yeah so um, that um, is something to, and, and it's encouraging to hear an album like Pino's where you're like, okay, some people are into this. Yeah. You know, cause I mean, I'm like, into this cause you know, I set up this system that's very wide bandwidth, Yeah, but, but the recording industry isn't there yet. I love hearing, you know, uh, uh, mainstream music that's mastered really well. Like, like, you know, John Mayer albums being mastered quite well. Um, stuff, just popular popular music like that Billie Eilish uh, that just sounds really really good productions but also yeah. just I mean pop music you know yeah. um, that gives me hope uh, as far as recordings go um, by the way I just want to mention this now that we were talking about, uh, about our sound setup here is that I had to actually stop Duncan a few moments ago from tweaking the sound setup <laughs> so he was like what if we use these pair of interconnects uh, in, in <laughs> yeah, the board and <laughs> ABT man, always be tweaking. Always be tweaking. Always be tweaking. I'm gonna see some isolation pucks underneath the board. Oh, that's definitely. Oh, I'm giving you ideas. No, don't do that. We don't want to do that. (laughs) All right. Well, I I hope you enjoyed this uh, this discussion we we had on this topic. It it just seemed like one that uh, they really got us talking, and uh, you know, and and so we thought it had a lot of uh, you know relevance. I think for for folks out there. So. Hopefully you enjoyed that. Uh, um, anyway, okay, here we go. Moving on into what are we doing now? What is it? What time is it? Ah, yes, the, the album, different, the different of sound the week. Okay, so this week's album uh, is one that you sent to me a long, uh, a little while ago. Not not too long. I made a month ago. Um, but it's one that straddles that line. 
gosh, there's so many things I want to say about this. I'll let you talk about it in a second because because you you've known this guy and explored more than than I have. But this record is one one of the things I mentioned that I want to talk about on a podcast in the future is how as you make improvements to your system, your library of music uh, has these dynamic shifts where some albums will show up as better than other albums based on different things that you've done to your system. So over a, over a period of time, you'll see certain albums kind of come out uh, of the, from the crowd stand out as, as exceptional. I noticed that as I was improving my system over the last few months, that, that some albums uh, at, at the beginning I felt that they were they were too high quality for me to hear everything great that's going on. Then I got to a point where they were they were some of my best albums, and then now I'm I'm my system is so good that I I can now hear some of their flaws, and they're not my best albums anymore. And one of the things I mentioned about this this album that we're recommending as album of the week is this one keeps shining more and more the mm-hmm. more I improve my system. Yep. And it stays there as this is one of your best albums in the library. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, and this is uh, Joseph Shabison. This is actually an album with Joseph Shabison um, and a guy named Kurgovich and a guy named Harris. So this is Shabison, Kurgovich, and Harris. And the album is called Philadelphia. And um, yeah, so I actually found out about this because I'm a Joseph Shabison fan. Is he from Canada? Um, I believe he's from Canada. Toronto. Yes. Yes. Um, And uh, I'll tell you in a minute why I actually know that. Um, But I love this guy. Um, Joseph Shabison. Yes. His, his stuff is just so great. His, he has such a unique style uh, of, of using the synth in this, um, in this just very unique presentation that he brings. Um, I, I find this music really great for night listening, you know, right before, right before you go to bed, bed. turn all the lights out, um, go medium on the volume. Don't go loud. And just sit back and, and melt into your couch, you know, because this music is what that does. It He takes you to a place um, that is very unique. And, and all of his albums tend to have the same atmosphere. Hmm. And that's the way I'd put it. That's the best way I can put it is that he creates his own unique atmosphere that I've never quite heard before. Um, there are certainly influences that, that jump out, but um, he actually released an album in 2018 called Anne, and that was my a-n-n-e like a lady's name yep Yep. Anne. um and that album was my personal album of the year for 2018 Mm. so if you like this album make sure to check out Anne. uh it's a very powerful moving uh uh record um and so uh, I actually recently purchased the vinyl of of this uh, Philadelphia album, and uh, and it shipped from Canada. So that's actually when I found out he was Canadian. I gotcha. didn't know that. Gotcha. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, there's there's something mentioned on the Bandcamp page, and and like always, by the way, we we've every album we feature, we will feature on the website. So uh, www. net is our website. Every Wednesday, we come out with a new episode uh, of 
of the podcast and, and I re rehaul the front page of our website and have the, the episode. And then we have the album of the week right there. So you'll be able to see the spelling of Shabbos and it's S H A B A S O N. You'll see the rest of the, uh, the spelling of it and everything you can find links to I'll link to the band camp page, but the and- band camp uh, mentions this wonderful little phrase. It says the modern minutia rendered beautiful by mere observation. Hmm. in description of, of this album and in description, partial description of Joseph Shabison's style. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's a beautiful style. So if you guys like this album, go on Bandcamp and order that album. They're doing pretty low quantity uh, pressings on this. Oh, yeah. And so, you know, uh, snatch those up um, and support the artists because, you know, uh, this is challenging. These are challenging times for musicians, especially people... Um, that are you know somewhat underground so yeah uh, the vinyl is the best way you can support them um it looks like uh on their band camp they mentioned they're doing a second pressing due to popular demand yeah yep so they're doing i think uh, the next pressing is going to be on white vinyl also when you buy the uh, vinyl through Bandcamp, you also get the download of your choice of format so you can get in lossless aiff for flack if you want yep um and so you'll also have the file um, that you can always log on back onto your Bandcamp uh, 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 account and download. So uh, I just love the platform, um, and it's how I support artists. When I really like an album, I just buy. I go ahead and buy the the record on on Bandcamp if it's up there. Yeah, and Bandcamp gives a great uh, big share back to the artist. So it's actually a yeah. Bandcamp is so friendly to artists. Um, we yep. we really love that. Um, yeah, I'm trying to see if this if this album is uh, in high definition. So, because I actually don't know, um, I'm not going to find it on the phone. Oh, I don't. Um, I I um. I think it's 9624 on. I, mean, I think on streaming it, it is, which yeah. means that yes, it is, and you should. That means that you should be able to at least get 9624 when you yeah. buy the vinyl and you get the digital download. Yeah, I think the AIFF that I have is is. Uh, is as twenty four ninety six. Pretty cool. Yeah. So, yeah. Um, yeah. Anyways, amazing artist. Uh, ama- and yet another solid, amazing release. And if you like that, buy the record and then listen to Anne. Oh, what's your favorite? Uh, what's your favorite track on Philadelphia? The the name of this album. I'm, you know, we were talking about this earlier, and I just like the run. I think of "Sun in the Kitchen," "I Don't See the Moon," and then "Friday Afternoon." Yeah, that run right Two, there. Two, three, and four. Just that's the melt melt away. I agree with you. Run. I agree. Yeah. With you. So, so uh, start this one at the beginning. Turn the lights off. Medium volume right before you go to bed, and uh, you'll be in heaven. Yeah, it's good stuff. Yep. All right. Well, and that's uh, one more. Uh, recommendation of the week um we've built up a whole bunch of them now you, you got a pretty decent library if you just go to the hi-fi podcast.net and go over to the albums page um we've got we've got enough to get you started with a really great system so if you're new to the podcast uh definitely head over to the website and try to try to uh add some of these um uh, previously recommended albums there to your library but all right. Well, thanks for listening, everybody. Thanks for the questions. Thanks for the encouragement. We always love um, hearing from you guys. Hi-fi at Outlook.com is our email address. If you have any questions, if you have any tips, audio file tips, something you found works for you um, that you want to share uh, or album recommendations. So 
Um, but with that, this has been another episode of the High Five Podcast with Darren and Duncan. I am Duncan. I'm Darren. And next week, we will be back right here. and We'll catch you on the next episode. Thanks for listening. Bye. See you. The High Five Podcast with Darren and Duncan is produced by Darren Myers and Duncan Taylor and is copyright 2020 of Slope Productions. The intro and outro music is provided by Denver's Color Red Studios and features the song Bangs by the band Many Colors.